0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we were last week, that's where we'll be this week, the next couple as well. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21 is our focus. Today we'll be just looking at two verses, 16 through 17, uh, Together. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack there in front of you. You can take that one and use that this morning. You can take it with you if you want as well. It can be yours if you don't own one. Feel free to take it. Just a little reminder, though, of where we uh, were last week, I guess. Uh, Well, let's just read it together. Let's read uh, beginning in chapter 5, verse 11. We'll just read our, our whole section, I guess. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, Really, a lot of verses in there that maybe you remember. You might not have knew exactly where they were, but little little lines there that you've said many times. We are a new creation, uh, is one, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. But yesterday, but last week when we were together, one of the important things that we saw with Paul and his ministry is he said that the love of Christ is what controls him. It's the it's the love of Christ that. Is what compels him to, to do the things he do and something that he does, and something that we can learn from that is that's the same in our life. It should be as Christians. If you're a Christian this morning, been saved by the grace of God, what should cause you to do the things you do? Everything you do should be the love of Christ. That's, that is what should control you, that is what should compel you in everything. Now, you know just as much as I do that oftentimes that's that's not the case. That's the, the struggle within us that we still sin, we, we still fall short. And oftentimes in this, uh, what often what, what compels us and what controls us is our own selfishness, our, our own desires. We slip back into that so very often. It's so easy to do that. Uh, but we should be repenting of that. We should be looking to God and asking him to help us and daily being in his word, regularly coming to church so that we're reminded about the love that Christ has for us, the things that he has done for us and allowing that to compel us, allowing that to control us. And so that's why Paul would then say uh, in verse 15 that what, what what that causes us to do is to live for him and to glorify him. That is what we do as Christians. That is what we should be doing as Christians. We should be living for Christ in everything we say, in everything we do. That is our goal, I guess you could say. Now one of the things that we need to remember as we approach this passage is remember it in its context. And what Paul is doing here is Paul is speaking of himself as an apostle. Because you remember, false prophets came in and they started to speak against Paul. They started to turn the church against him because of his sufferings, because of things that he was facing Uh, as he was going on his missionary journey saying, if he was really of God, God would be blessing him. You wouldn't see all this suffering in his life. You wouldn't see all this struggle in his life. It would look different. And so Paul now, what he is trying to do is he is trying his best to prove his apostleship again to this church that that he loves. And so again, I want that in our mind as we are looking at these two verses this morning of 16 and 17. Look at them again. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's break these verses down. In verse 16, it says, Paul no longer regards anyone according to the flesh we have to ask ourselves, what does this mean? What in the world does it mean to regard someone according to the flesh? And really the second part of verse 16 is is key to understanding this, along with verse 15 of what we did last week. We regard Christ in the flesh no longer. That's kind of an interesting thing that Paul says there, right? He says, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. That's a interesting little tidbit that Paul would put in there and what we have to wonder, why does he do this? Well, because of what Christ has, has done, right? Christ lived, Christ died, he rose again, and now he ascended on high. What Paul is getting at is, we don't, we don't see him in the flesh anymore. I don't see him in the flesh anymore. Paul is saying that very personally. No, no, I see him spiritually. I understand the work that he came to do, the work that he has completed and Paul would understand, though he's not here in the flesh, that work still continues. He still continues to work in people's lives. He, he still continues to change lives. And the reason Paul would be able to say that was because he had changed Paul's life drastically, which we're going to talk about a bunch throughout this message. And so we know, we can take an implication from this that we know still today, hopefully you know this, hopefully you realize this as a Christian, that he is still at work today. The same power, right? The same power that we see throughout scripture, doing all these fascinating things that we're amazed with, that same power is at work today in the lives of people every time God opens the eyes of a sinner and saves them by his grace. And that's a work that God does. That's not a work that you and I can do. We've talked about that a ton, but we can share the gospel with people. We can try to be as convincing as we want to be, but it's the power of God that does that. And so this this is the spiritual eyes that we should be seeing with, not the fleshly eyes. And Paul says, I regard nobody according to the flesh anymore. Now, this is a very important statement for Paul because it wasn't too long ago in Paul's life where Paul lived 100% according to the flesh. Everybody he looked at, everybody he judged was according to the things that they were doing and the way that they were living his life. Because if you remember about Paul, Paul was a Pharisee. He would even say, I wasn't just any old Pharisee, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew his stuff. He knew the law of God. He knew every little thing that people should be doing. And so when this Jesus figure came onto the scene, that was not a good thing for Paul. He had a problem with the way that Jesus lived. He had a problem with the way that Christians were spouting out this stuff about Jesus. So much so that if you look early on in Acts, Paul's name starts to come up and his name starts to come up in times when Christians were being killed. Stephen, the first martyr. It says that the people, as they would begin to stone Stephen, because he shares the gospel with them and they get outraged, they start to stone him, that they lay their tunics at, at Paul's feet. He was there. Again, I don't know what role he played. I don't know if he threw a stone. I don't know if he was the one urging people on to throw the stones. I, I have no idea, but it makes it very clear and evident that he was there and he agreed with what was happening. He was happy with what was taking place and what was going on. But then all of a sudden we get to Acts chapter 9 and something spectacular happens in the life of Paul. Paul is on his way to try to find more Christians. This is what he is doing. And all of a sudden he has an encounter with Jesus. He has a counter on the road to Jesus where his life is changed spiritually. Where all of a sudden, everything is altered. Everything now is going to be new and different. And we have to understand this to understand what Paul is getting at in this passage. For Paul, everything became new. And so now in Paul's life, because of what Christ had done for him, he's saying, because of what what he has done for me, I see everybody now spiritually. I do not see them in the flesh any longer I see them now according to their position before Christ, right? That's how I see them. They are either in Christ or they are out of Christ. And so for Paul, what he is writing is that Jesus is the linchpin for all of this, for all humanity, for all of everything. Without him, you are dead. With him, you are alive. That's what Paul is getting at. And so for us, being saved by the grace of God, Seeing people this way, as Paul is talking about how he sees people, it really changes how we respond and act to individuals, all individuals. We are told in the New Testament to do good things. We are told to be kind. We are told to live at peace with everybody if we can. Well, how do we do this? Well, if we we look at people with fleshly eyes, this is impossible. It's impossible to do that. We We will always be angry. We will always be frustrated. We will always be ticked because the fact of the matter is everybody will fail our standard all the time. But when we look at everybody and we see them spiritually and we see them as a brother and sister in the Lord or somebody who is not in Christ and who if they die, they will spend eternity in hell. If we start seeing people that way, What it should do inside of us as Christians is we start to have compassion. We start to show kindness. These become the traits of Christians. This will become a trait of yourself. You could go to Galatians 5 and look at the fruits of the Spirit. All of a sudden, these are the things that start pouring out of your heart for people even when they do unkind things to you or say unkind things about you. You have compassion on them because if they're not believers, you understand that That's how they're going to act because they are slaves to sin. They are slaves to flesh. And they think that the answer in this world is morality. They think the answer in this world is government. They think the answer in this world is just if there's no more poverty, if there's no more hunger, then things are going to be so much better. And we understand as Christians that is not true. As long as humanity is breathing, there will be sin. And we're not going to get rid of that. But we know one who has conquered that. And we have the ability and the privilege to share that truth with others. But we need to do that out of kindness. We need to do that out of love. We need to do that because the love of Christ compels us to do that. And so it changes these things within our life as we start to view people, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, if this wasn't enough, Paul goes into verse 17, and he speaks about this a little deeper. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, there's something in this verse that's very important that we must point out right off the bat, because there's a stipulation here. New creation only happens in Christ. That is it. This is the only way to be a new creation. So the question is if, is, if it is that important to be found in Christ, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? It's a, that's a good churchy thing to say, but what does that look like? How does that, how does that flesh out? Well, I, I would have you turn to Ephesians. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible. I want to read the first 14 verses. We're actually going to go through the book of Ephesians this year. We'll, we'll start this next month, and we'll spend time in Ephesians, so this is a little taste I guess, of, of what's to come. That's why I wanted to go to Ephesians for this. Ephesians chapter one, verse one through 14, talks about in Christ a ton. I did my research here. What I'm gonna tell you is probably wrong because I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it's something like 45 times scripture says in Christ. Paul does it 44 times. One other time is Peter at the end of one of, one of his books, but he says it a lot right here in Ephesians 1. Paul mentions in him numerous times. He says in him is blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We have been chosen in him. We have been adopted through him. We have been blessed in him. Redemption is found only in, in, in him. In him, we have an inheritance. In him, we receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee in our life that we are in him. So Paul over and over and over again says these truths and there's so much more truths even throughout scripture we just don't have time to go to them uh, this morning of what it means to be in him. What Paul wants this church to see is Paul so desperately wants the church in Corinth to know that it is important that they be in Christ not be so focused on being in the world because that's what was starting to happen. Remember, Prestige became important to the Corinthians. Status was becoming important. How do you look? That's what made your God special is if he elevated your status. And Paul's trying to help them to see that it's not about those outside things. It's are you found in him? And it's not a small thing to be found in Christ. In fact, what Paul would say is this is a monumental change. It's actually a historical change. It, Paul's getting to the point here to say this has been a part of God's plan all along, that something big was going to happen. James Hastings, he lived back in the 1800s. Have a, I want to read a quote from his, in one of his commentaries. It says, it is the great characteristic of the New Testament that it demands a new creation. This is its specific message. Other systems that seek to change character and society Insist on education, amelioration, reformation, or revolution. The New Testament has little to say about any of these, but demands the new creature, a new creation. Nothing is sufficient except a definite change in the spirit of the man, a change that is so complete and radical that it must be spoken of as a creation, an act of supernatural divine grace which makes the creature new and all life new with it. That's quite a statement that he's saying there. When God saves you, when God saves a sinner, it is a new creation that is happening. And only the divine being God can create something new. I had that conversation with my kids not too long ago. I might have said it to you guys already. But we looked at the fact that God created everything when we were looking at Genesis. And I said, isn't it interesting when we watch these movies, these sci-fi movies and all these different things, when man tries to create something new, it always has human characteristics. They still have ears or they'll still have a nose or they'll still talk with the mouth. They almost always still have eyes to see. Why is that? We're not creative enough to come up with new things. We can be creative and God has blessed us with the ability to be creative in, in some ways, but not like God. And so God is the creator. And so he is the one who has to make this new creation. And that is what Paul is getting at in 17. And so when he talks about a new creation, he puts it in two ways. He says, number one, the old has passed. Now, again, I want to put our memory to Paul's life before Christ. Because for him, the law was king. The law is what ruled. Flesh was very important. And so Paul is speaking again saying this has passed he, he speaks to this fact that the old is gone in Philippians chapter 3 just just listen he says finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh I can stop there for a second That's amazing for someone like Paul to say. I put no confidence in my flesh. All his confidence was in his flesh not too long ago. He was willing to kill people over the confidence in his flesh that he was right. Verse four, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Man, he would have fit in good in like the NBA or sports uh, nowadays, pretty cocky circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, looking at their accomplishments, looking at their piety, looking at their holiness, looking at all these things, whatever whatever it is, you can add it to the list. What Paul is saying is, for me, that is gone because all that did for me was separate me from Christ and I want to be found in Christ. And so that life has passed for me. But For Paul, this is more than just a personal thing in his life. Because when you read this of Paul, it's hard not to think back to the book of Isaiah, to the prophet Isaiah. Because again, remember, Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so he knows the prophets. He he knows the law. He knows all of these things very well. And as he's talking about how the new creation has come and the the old has passed, your mind should go back to Isaiah. And I'm going to read Isaiah 43, verse 18 through 19. And and you tell me how this doesn't fit with what he's saying here, because I'd like to understand that. Because I can only see that this fits Isaiah forty three eighteen to nineteen. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing; now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Even the, even the prophet Isaiah is speaking of this new thing is coming. This, this new thing is happening. And now what Paul is doing is he is reflecting on that saying, it has come. The new thing that Isaiah is talking about, the new thing that the prophets would speak of, it has come in Christ. Jesus is the reality of it. Jesus is the crux of all of history. It all hangs on him. That is what Paul is getting at here. And he's saying, listen, the new has come through Jesus. And through Jesus, those who are found in him are the true church. Gentile, Jew, Greek, whoever it may be. This is the true church only found in Christ. This is one of the things that makes Christianity so offensive when we stay true to scripture. Because we can't have the bumper sticker on the back of our car that says coexist and mean it in the way that those bumper stickers mean it to mean. Because we stand on the fact as Christians, there is only one right way and it is in Christ. That alone. I can love this other person. I can exist with this other person. I can love this other person. But the fact of the matter is, I can't agree with them other than if they would say in Christ is where hope is found. Today, that's very offensive. It's a very offensive thing, but Paul is saying this as a very good thing because he's saying this is the new thing that we have been waiting for and it is here. For you as a Christian this morning, again, if you've been saved by God's grace, you need to understand you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, and it is in Christ. And so now for you as a Christian, all of a sudden, the whole world and all the things within the world should be seen fresh and new through the lens of Christ. All of it. Now, understand this. That doesn't happen as soon as you are saved, where all of a sudden you are enlightened and you just see everything. No, I know... This is going to sound bad. I know a lot of dumb Christians. They don't see things very well. I know a lot of confused Christians that I believe they are my brother and sister in Christ. But some of the things they see in the world, I would say, maybe you're seeing this with fleshly eyes or you're not understanding this fully. And I'm sure I have my blind spots as well. I'm not saying I'm perfect in it. But I think that's that process that God takes us through to mold us and make us more and more into the image of his son that he continues to do until the day of our death. And it's where we see things, how we need to see them, according to God's word, not according to the flesh. And again, this takes time. This takes growth. But as a believer, this needs to be happening in your life. Every issue, every situation that you face needs to be seen through the lens of scripture, through the lens of living in Christ and understanding that you are a new creature a new creation in John chapter 3 verse 3 through 8 this is a very famous section of of scripture but Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus is asking him some good questions because there are some things that doesn't seem to make sense and so it says Jesus answered him and says truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus said to him How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now pause there. This is fleshly eyes, which you and I can't laugh at because we would have said the same thing. What? This doesn't make sense. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, something that, the reason I read that is because I want to separate something in your mind. It is not a process to be saved by God's grace. When God saves you, the word here is regeneration. It's the big... Big word there if you want to use that. That's instant. He saves you, not of your doing. It's, a, it's of him. So by faith, we believe that. We trust in that. That's, that's right away. But then, there's this process of what I've been talking about, of where God continues to love us by molding us and making us and helping us to see the things that he has for us. The, real, the good news of the gospel daily in our life. And so we start to see things different. This is a process, still a work of God, but it's still a process in our life. And this is where sometimes older Christians will get frustrated at younger Christians because they feel the process isn't going fast enough. And where maybe we need to give more grace and mercy into the lives of those who are new believers or the newly saved to understand God's still working on them. Took you 40 years to get where you're at and some would still call you dumb as a Christian. We maybe need to be patient on those who are still growing in that. So, when we look at these truths, what does this mean for us? Because our focus in January is on mission, right? We had our mission Sunday, the, the first Sunday. And what does this mean then for us as Christians? This whole the old is gone, the new has come, this whole new creation stuff, not seeing people in the flesh. What does this mean for us as we try to live our life glorifying God in all things? Well, I think we see he's called us to be a part of him making all things new, which is actually an amazing reality. That God has allowed us to be a part of this process that we see. Because whether you believe it or not, I hope you believe it, we currently live in a time now when Jesus has made all things new. I know we sing songs that talk about when with our fleshly eyes we will get to see all things made new and that is a promise that will happen one day and we look forward to that day. You know, our church had a had a tough week if I'm being honest. It seemed like every phone call I got was from some senior saint who's been here longer than I've been alive passing. That's hard. It's hard to sit there with the families, but it's It's helpful to be able to look at the family members in the eyes or talk to them on the phone and say, we'll see them again. We'll see them again because of what God has done in their life. Because what God has done in our life, we get to see them again. And we know they're not struggling anymore. They're not hurting anymore. And yeah, it hurts, but they've, they've finished the race that we continue to run. And we look forward to that day when we will see with our fleshly eyes all these things made new. But help us, help me not to, we need to understand still, God has already made all things new. He's done that through Jesus. And we get to be a part of that. We get to live it now. We get to understand that as we look at the world, not in our fleshly eyes, but in our in the eyes of the spirit understanding that what jesus has done and he has inaugurated that new creation it is here we get to live in that that is why we can say phrases that scripture tell us that paul already said in corinthians where he would say i cannot be crushed we cannot be destroyed well how can he say that how can he say those things Because Christ has already made all things new. And he's doing that in me. And at death, it's really just the final victory. Again, we don't see that with our fleshly eyes, but we see it in the spirit. We live in a time where we get to share these truths with other people. We get to see the power of God work in their life and make them new and whole and well. One of the ways, I do want to speak to this real quickly One of the ways sharing the gospel with people is often uh, put on us as Christians is it's put on us as a burden. Where I could sit here and say, You need to share the gospel with your family. You need to share the gospel with your coworkers. But we say it in a way where it's a job, a task, and a burden, where you're like, All right, put that on the bottom. I got to go to the grocery store, I got to pick up the kids and I got to share the gospel with somebody. That's how it's often put. I'll be honest, growing up, that's how it felt to me. It often felt, sharing the gospel to me, felt like another burden that you are putting on me. You're putting me in a situation that I am not comfortable with. You might not know this about me, but I despise one-on-one conversations with anybody unless I really know them. I'm not comfortable in them. I feel awkward in them. I feel extremely out of my element on one on one conversations. Once I get past the weather, I'm out. I don't have anything else to say. And it's hard for me to work my way to then get to the gospel. To be honest, it would be extremely awkward. And I would only add to the fact of people saying Christians are weird when I do that. But I would be told, get out of your comfort zone. This is what we do as Christians. Get out there and do it. And so for me, it became guilt. It became shame. It became frustration in my life because I wasn't good at it. But I don't think that's how scripture tells us to speak of sharing the gospel with others. I need to see it as a glorious gift that God has given me to be able to go to somebody and to tell them, This world is falling apart, but I have good news. Jesus came and he has made all things new and he can do it in your life as well. All of a sudden, sharing the gospel becomes a gift that I have to be able to share with people. It's a good thing. It's not a burden. It's not this difficult thing in my life. It's as simple as what we talked about last week of telling people the good news of the gospel he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended on high. This is the gospel message that you can be a part of. And we trust that God will open their eyes to the truth. I firmly believe this is the problem with evangelism. I actually get to be a part of a team on a state convention of evangelism. And there are so many kinds of ways to share the gospel. I mean, thousands upon thousands of ways. There's wristbands that you can wear to remind you, hey, you're supposed to share the gospel. There's tracts that you can buy that you can hand to people or holy litter on the road or whatever you want to do, hoping people will pick it up. There are all kinds of strategies that we can come up with with sharing the gospel. And I'm not against many of them. That's an okay thing. But I'm fully convinced of this. Until a person is constrained by the love of Christ and what Jesus has done in their life. There's no use in trying to get those people to share the gospel. They're just not going to do it. Until you are gripped for what God has done for you, until you begin to see the world, not with fleshly eyes, but with spiritual eyes, you will struggle to share the gospel. It won't be a joy. It will be a burden. And so what I hope we see in this passage, what I hope Monroe Missionary Baptist Church will be is a church that is known to share the gospel, not because we've set up a good strategy of do A, do B, do C, and then ask them if they want to do this. No, we share the gospel because It's the glorious gift that God has given us to do it. We know it's the good news that grandma needs to hear. It's what will make her whole, even though she's 90 years old. It's the only hope for her. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, he's allowed me, a sinner, someone who struggles so often, to be able to share that good news with that person. Until we are gripped with that, I don't know if we'll be effective in evangelism. But that is what we do as Christians. We glorify God, Paul would say in verse 15. And then he goes on to say, we don't see people with fleshly eyes anymore. We are a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. And so now you and I get to do this. We get to live our life Honoring God in all the things that we do, knowing knowing this, that he uses it for his glory. No matter how mundane we think it is. I want to read a quote for you. This is one last one. It's from James Hastings again. I promise this is the last one. But this is something that's really uh, burdensome to me. I think a lot of Christians walk around with a lot of guilt that, that you don't need to have because you feel... You feel not holy enough. I was talking with Pastor Spencer. He said it really well. He said, a lot of people live their life that these are the holy things I do. These are just the daily things I do. And the problem is for Christians, that doesn't exist. As a Christian, everything is a holy thing you do. Everything is a holy thing you do. James Hastings says it this way. Examine the average life which is being led in a society. We will say like our own. What is there about it that is noble or exalted? To get along comfortably, to make money, perhaps in some cases to make a great deal of money, to keep trouble at a distance if possible, and to surround oneself with everything that is pleasant and agreeable. Does not this or something like this seem to be the condition of hundreds and hundreds of the ordinary men and women with whom we are acquainted? They are respectable. They are blameless. They are kind. No one can lay any grave fault to their charge. But to say that there is anything lofty or noble or aspiring about them would be a simple misuse of language. But let Christ enter the life. And all this is changed. The commonest act is ennobled by being done for him. Let Christ into all life and the present, no matter what it is, reaches out and fastens itself on the distant eternity and becomes the germ of a never-ending existence. When you work next to that guy on the line or when you you go into the office and there's a cubicle next to you or I guess now it's through Zoom or whatever because you're probably not actually there. What you're doing and what the next guy doing It's the same thing. It's the same thing. They're working for a good cause. You're working for a good cause. You're making money for your family. Hopefully you both are trying to do the best that you can. But there is probably, hopefully, a big difference between the two of you. One of you, the good works that you are doing, is filthy rags. It's filthy rags in the eyes of God. The other person, the good works that you are doing is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. You may ask, well, what's the difference? Because we're both doing the exact same thing. He's putting four bolts under the car. I'm putting four bolts under the car. So how can one be filthy rags and the other be a sweet-smelling aroma? Well, because you're a Christian. Because you've been saved by the grace of God. And so now what God has imparted into your life is a new creature, holy and righteous in his eyes. And so now the good works that you do are good works. They're good for him. They're not not minimized in his eyes because you are doing it to glorify him. Everything you say and everything you do, and that's why I say, listen, no longer in your life should there be, these are the holy things I do. This is the stuff I do for my family. But that's what a lot of us are guilty of. That's the weight and the baggage that we carry. We carry. Oh, what would you do good today? Well, I made spaghetti for the family. I did some laundry. Uh, I went outside and picked up some sticks in the yard. But I, I read my Bible. I, read, I did a holy thing and then I, I did these other things. Oh, don't let it be so for us as Christians. As Christians, it's all holy things as we do it to the Lord. As we honor him with everything we say and everything we do. And the linchpin of these good things, remember, is being in Christ. And so the question that remains for us this morning is simply this. Are you in Christ? Because if you're not in Christ, then nothing you say, nothing you do, is holy, good, or righteous in the eyes of God. In fact, you are an enemy of God because you're not found in Christ. But the good news is, you can be found in Christ. The Bible says by faith, we believe. I believe there's faithful Christians. If you're here this morning and and you haven't, you'd say, I don't think I'm in Christ. We've been praying for you. We've been praying and asking God that he would help you to see that you are not found in him, but that you will also see you can be found in him this morning. It's not a magic pill. It's not a dance that you need to do. It's believing in Christ and what he has done for you and forgiving you of your sin on the cross and his conquering death, hell, and the grave. That's what it is. That's being in Christ. And the Bible tells us when we believe in that, we become a new creation. All things are made new for us. And I would love nothing else than for that to happen in your life if you haven't been found in Christ. For those of us who have been in Christ, I think there's a lot of things here that we can reflect on Maybe there's some baggage that you need to get rid of because it's not your baggage to carry. Christ conquered it already, but you, for some reason, insist on holding on to it. Or maybe you're not looking at the world how you should. You keep looking through fleshly eyes, and hopefully this morning was a good reminder to start looking at the world through the eyes of God's word, to have kindness and compassion, caring for people, to know that there really is a death an eternal death that is coming. And we should take it serious as Christians. And we should be honored that God has allowed us to be a part of that work and sharing the good news with people and living life to glorify him. That is an awesome privilege that we have as a Christian, not a burden, an awesome privilege that God has given us. So I hope you'll be faithful in that. I'm gonna ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna sing a song to close like we do each week. We always offer this time as an opportunity for you to respond to God's word, where you sit, <clears throat> to reflect on what you've heard. For those of you this morning, you say, I, I don't know if I'm in Christ. I hope this morning that you'll pray and seek God's face in that. If you have questions, I'd love to talk to you about it more after service. But you can be found in Christ through the glorious grace that God offers through his son, Jesus. And we believe that is the power of God that would work in your life. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for how good you are to us. I thank you for your word. I, God, I thank you that as we dig deeper and deeper into scripture, God, you just keep showing how good you are. I know that's what I keep seeing over and over again. God, those things in my life that sometimes I see as As a burden, I realize it's because I'm not viewing them right. I'm I'm seeing them in fleshly eyes. So God, I I pray for me personally that you would help me see the great privilege of being able to share with people the good news of Christ. And God, I I can't help how they respond to that message. I know that I can't convince them. I, I know that's a work that you have to do. But God, I also know that's a work that you love to do. So God, help me to continue to see that as a glorious thing, a blessing, to find joy in being able to minister to people. But God, likewise, for us as Christians, help us to find joy in every task that we do, knowing that we do it to you, whether we're doing things with family, we're doing things with friends, we're going to work whether we're out in a mission field, on some mission trip, whether we're at church, no matter what we're doing, God, help us to see all things as glorifying you and everything. God, help us to be constrained by the love of Christ, as it says there in 2 Corinthians 5. Because God, I know that when that happens in our life, we can't help but do the things you've called us to do. It will just be natural for us It'll come up in conversations with neighbors or with our kids. It'll just happen. And God, we might not be perfect. We might not have all the answers. But God, we just need to be faithful to you and honoring you in those situations. God, I also want to pray for those this morning here who may not know you, who may not be found in Christ. God, I pray that you would change that this morning by the power of your word and the work of the Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to that truth and save them by your power, by your grace. God, I believe you still do that in people's lives and people's hearts, and I'm thankful that you do that. And again, I'm thankful that you allow us just to be a part of the work. God, we worship you this morning as we, as we sing this last song. I, I pray that it would be praise to you. I pray that it would be uh, in response to your word. And again, that we would worship you and you alone because you're the only one worthy of that this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.